Let me add my good morning to Dave's. My name's Roger. It's good to be here. Uh, let's commit ourselves to God uh, as we listen to his word. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you uh, for your word to us, uh, spoken, written and read. We pray now, Heavenly Father, that you would write it on our hearts and minds and we ask this, that it would be for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, a quick aside just to begin with, uh, we are not going to be uh, covering uh, divorce and remarriage today. We've covered that on previous occasions and we will cover it again, Uh, but I just wanted to let you know uh, as we head into Luke 16 together. Uh, And I expect you've had the experience that there are plenty of things uh, that you need to act now on uh, to be ready for the future. I wonder what some examples might have been in your life. Um, Maybe the birth of a child meant uh, you set up a baby's room and organised the bath and the bottles and everything. Uh, Perhaps you moved closer to where you were going to work uh, so that you wouldn't have to travel a much longer distance back and forth uh, uh, over time. Uh, Maybe... Uh, as you have grown in wisdom, you moved somewhere where there were less steps and wonderfully the house was easier to maintain. Uh, Or perhaps uh, thinking about retirement way off in the future, you uh, trundled yourself off to a financial planner so you can work out if you can afford it. Uh, Louise and I uh, did this uh, the first time many years ago Uh, And it made me laugh when they sent me the report on what we'd discussed because, you know, when you read the fine print and it tells you all the assumptions they've made about interest rates and years and all that sort of thing, well, it seems, according to them, at this time, I I, uh, have to die when I'm 81, Uh, which I guess is why they also advised us updating our wills. Uh, Whatever you've seen coming in the future, it's so often true, isn't it, that we need to act beforehand to be ready for it. Uh, To wait till it arrives will be too late. And for all the examples we could think about, things where we had to act now to be ready for the future, really important examples like, say, a growing household or where we'll live or how we'll support ourselves... As we read Luke 16 today, uh, they fade into second place, but all of them uh, become crystal clear. Because what Jesus does here is he focuses our attention on the future, but not just on the future, how to think and act now in light of the future. Uh, That's where we pick up. Uh, these two parables from Luke 16. They're both related. Uh, We read the second one uh, this week. Uh, We read the first one last week. I'll retrace our steps from last week just briefly. But as we uh, read and think about what each says, uh, we see the future. We see accountability and we have commended to us the wise action. And what 
uh, happens, there's a beautiful, uh, well, not beautiful, but a, there's a contrast between the first man and the second in these two parables. The first man sees the future and acts. The second doesn't see the future and doesn't act. Together, it reinforces what we need to hear from God today. So uh, let me just take you back for a moment to last week, to the first parable in chapter 16. It's about a rich man whose manager uh, has been apparently ripping him off and he's given a warning. He's going to have to explain himself and he thinks to himself, I'm about to lose my job. Uh, and what am I going to do? And so he calls in his master's debtors, the ones that he's been uh, working for his master to make and collect debts, uh, and uh, uh, he, he fiddles the books with them. Uh, and it's a brilliant strategy because it means that uh, the, what's the manager going to do? You know, admit the shame of having uh, a fool or a thief work for him uh, and what does it do for the manager himself? He's like, oh, these people are going to welcome him happily, uh, even if he doesn't have this job anymore because of the great deal he gave them. And so Jesus says about the manager at the conclusion of this parable uh, in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. But for Jesus... It's not what the shrewd manager did uh, that makes him an example to his followers. It's his wisdom in understanding the future and acting wisely in light of that future. That was the first parable. Now we come to the second, the one that we heard uh, read out by Carolyn this morning. Uh, in this uh, parable, the opposite is going on from what happened in the first. Uh, this time it's someone not seeing the future and not acting in light of that future. So in this case, the, the role is taken by a rich man and in verse 19 uh, we read, uh, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Uh, at the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So the rich man is loaded. He was the richest of the rich. He wore purple and purple was this, the dye for making purple was just this really extremely expensive rare commodity and so only the wealthiest of wealthy wore it. Uh, this man is, in, uh, in the way we say it today, he is living his best life, uh, you could say. But not only is he loaded, uh, we see, as Lazarus is before him, how he treats others. So you can imagine him walking around the crippled Lazarus laid at his gate. Uh, he has no compassion or generosity for Lazarus and his need. The irony is that Lazarus' name means God helps. And yet here he is. Uh, and here is the rich man. Their world could not be further apart. But a future awaits the man in purple. Uh, a future that how he lives in this life shows he has not seen. It arrives in verse 22. 
A time came, uh, let me just see if I read this correctly. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to uh, Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And what what, uh, this event says uh, as it deals with the rich man and deals uh, with Lazarus is that we all have a use-by date. As each of them are taken by death, so too are we. Uh, But death is not the whole future, it is the beginning of the future. And while Jesus had probably, has probably created uh, the two characters of the rich man and Lazarus, there's no doubt he's telling it like it is when it comes to death and after death, what lies behind, beyond. And so the stakes are a lot higher than a man losing his job and looking after himself in the first parable. This is, this is one that affects uh, all of us. And so we need to pay attention. Uh, By the way, as we're reading this, uh, uh, we're going to come back to it, but think about what is the answer to the question, what is the action that Jesus sees as right and wise now for us as he clarifies the future? Uh, So have a look at the picture he gives uh, here of Lazarus' experience his experience of heaven in verse 23. He is side by side with Abraham. Abraham, the great father of the faith, uh, God promised him great blessing. And so there is no doubt uh, that being with Abraham means he is experiencing the glory and blessing of God. Uh, And where he was in anguish in this life, Uh, It's now reversed. It's turned on its head. Uh, Death brings, uh, in in God's purposes and plans, a great reversal. Uh, Things are not always what they seem or look. Uh, In this life now, uh, we need to stop and step back and look at them from God's perspective. Uh, You don't need to read uh, too far in the Bible to see that uh, the experience of Lazarus, uh, where he is experiencing uh, peace and rest with God, uh, that he is experiencing heaven where uh, relationships work, uh, where all the things that don't work in this world are a distant memory. But at the same time, Uh, That's not what gets the greatest airtime in this passage, nor is it the future that the rich man experiences. And so we read in verse 23, in Hades where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. It is a picture of judgment after death, and it is awful. Uh, It is a place of torment and agony. 
It is a, it, it is a place where you capture it in the torment of being burnt. Judgment, Jesus shows us, is awful. And it is also irreversible. In the words of Abraham that we read in verse 26, and besides all this, Abraham says, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Which future we experience uh, is determined on this side of death. After death, it is too late. But here is the thing, and remember this throughout our time hearing God's word this morning. Jesus is speaking lovingly because judgment is avoidable too. The rich man understands now at this point, for while he was someone who did not see the future and act now in light of that future, at least he would see his five brothers spared this agony. Verse 27, uh, the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, that he mourn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Hereafter it is too late. The rich man in purple recognises that it's now in this life in which we now live which determines which we will experience uh, when the great reversal comes, whether we experience heaven or judgment. The rich man in purple failed to see the future and didn't take the appropriate action. He was very, very unwise. Now compare these two parables, the one we heard last week that I mentioned in brief today. Uh, In fact, view them in light of everything Jesus says in Luke 16. And what is he saying to us today? Well, a couple of things stand out. The first is he is saying a day is coming when we will be held to account. The dishonest manager and the rich man, what do they share in common? They have to give an account of themselves, don't they? Uh, Each faces a day when a light is shone on them. The first one saw it coming and prepared wisely. The second didn't and so did not but both were held accountable. Uh, What is Jesus saying to us then? He's warning that these are not the only two who will face the day of accountability. We will all face it. You know that saying, there are two things that are certain in life? You know what they are? Death and taxes. Yep, that's right. Well, actually, there's a third. Death, taxes and accountability. Uh, Time, Jesus shows us, is divided into two parts, now and the future. Now in this life where we make decisions, where we decide how we use our time and talents and treasure, actually they're his entrusted to us, and the future in the next life where we will be given far more or will we have taken away, where we will be comforted in heaven like Lazarus 
or in torment like the rich man in purple. The crucial point in between, between then uh, and now, is accountability. Judgment. God holding his expectations up against our actions and deciding whether we measure up. And as Jesus walked along the road to Jerusalem, as he spoke these words, he walked to his own day of judgment, to the cross on which his life and faithfulness to God would be measured and where if he measured up, his life would be taken so our eternal life need not be taken from us. And it was from him, so now ours need not. Remember we're talking about action. Uh, Action now in light of the future. And something that Jesus' death says is that it would appear there is no action we can take now that would avoid judgment in the future. Just hold that thought because there is an action that God's word today speaks of which you and I can actually do. Just regards uh, to Jesus and what his death on the cross means, Luke writes in his second book, Acts chapter 17, verse 31, for he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. He has given proof of this to all by raising him from the dead. The reality that we face this morning or that faces us is that there is a day of accountability. And as I mentioned, uh, we're talking about how can we be ready? Uh, Jesus is here speaking not because he wanted to gloat over those who would fail on this day of accountability, who would fail the test. Instead, he told them as a warning so that we would be ready. How can we be ready? Well, we can by serving God and not an imposter. Think about the rich man in purple. His problem was not that he was rich. His problem was that he served the wrong master. Remember what Jesus said earlier in chapter 16? Uh, Here it is up on the screen, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, We all serve a master. One of the One of the things that becomes clear in the word of God is that we were made to serve and even if we don't think we're serving anyone but ourselves, uh, we are mistaken. We either serve the true God or we serve an imposter. The rich man in purple chose to serve money and possessions and finding his security there, thinking that he was his own master with his wealth and but not realising all along that he was a servant of a cruel master, a master that would rob him of eternal life. The warning is there are dangerous counterfeits right before us, in our faces all the time, Uh, money in the way in which it gets mentioned and repeatedly and what we think it will give us is obviously 
one of the dangerous ones. And they're all dangerous, by the way. Uh, But God is a jealous God. Uh, He won't stomach us serving two masters. He tells us, in fact, that it is not possible to serve two masters. We always end up making a choice. And if there are two, it will always be at the expense of him. And so where we find our security and comfort uh, reveals whom we serve. And it's a real temptation, isn't it? Otherwise, would, why would Jesus be talking about it? Why would he speak of it so often, so much? Uh, as far as this life goes, he knows there are some pretty appealing alternatives. Masters that aren't God, but they feel, seem to feel our needs for comfort and security, whether it's our houses, our savings, our holidays or our friends. But if we take a a long, hard look at ourselves, uh, do we lean on them? Where do we go when things are stressed and under pressure? What's your first port of call? And when God takes a long, hard look at us on that day of accountability, what will he decide? the beginning of the passage uh, from Luke 16 that was read to us. The Pharisees listened to Jesus when he first spoke these words and we're told they loved money and they sneered at him. They sneered because they thought they could serve God and look after themselves with their money and possessions and they thought the money and the possessions weren't a problem. And couldn't we be in as serious danger as they. I mean, think about our our personal, our collective wealth today after the arrival of uh, various technological revolutions. Uh, In fact, our privileged place in history, uh, it leaves theirs in our dust. In, In the world scale, we're on the top of the pile Have we been trusted with this very little? That's what Jesus calls it in verse 16, isn't it? Very little. What does that say about what's at stake wonderfully in the life to come? And this warning is aimed squarely at how we view our stuff and Jesus talks about this contender to the true God time and again. It really is a biggie. But there are others other places we go, whether it's our education or our abilities or our family, none of these are bad in themselves. It's a question of attitude. Uh, Do we treat these things? Do we treat anything as a source of our security and comfort when it is an imposter in the place of the true God who alone can meet those needs. Before you consider that, and as we think about what what is the action that Jesus is calling from us as we hear this parable today, there's one last thing to hear 
that God has entrusted us. In fact, the most important thing he has given us. And it is his word, as through his word he gives us himself. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 16 to 17, are not additional teachings. You can get your black pen out and scrub out those headings in the NIV. They're the editors, not the uh, original text. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says, and this is straight after what has happened with the Pharisees and straight before uh, the parable we've given so much attention to today. The law and the prophets, that is, the whole Old Testament, were proclaimed until John, John the Baptist, Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. And so what Jesus is saying, he's embracing the word of God as it's been spoken in the Old Testament. And as he has brought the message, which is specifically called the good news, which fulfills the promises of the Old Testament, so he is saying, hear the word of God and respond by trust in it. How we listen shows whom we trust come back uh, to that parable to the end of the parable it sheds light at what's at stake the rich man in purple asked Lazarus be sent back to his brothers he could warn them of the coming accountability and it would certainly be impressive wouldn't it a person to come back from the dead to warn them but Abraham in the parable says that wouldn't be enough reading from verse 29 Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And doesn't Jesus capture something wonderful and extraordinary in those words? What is he saying, none other than the purpose and power of the word of God is greater than anything else? To give us the knowledge of God we need and to transform our lives so we may experience not torment but peace with God. If someone won't listen to the promises of God and the word of God, Jesus is saying they will not even listen to someone who should rise from the dead. Jesus is the risen Lord. At Easter coming, in fact, every day, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. Jesus comes as the word of God, John in his gospel tells us, fulfilling all of the word of God. And so the irony is not lost on us. I could even hear it uh, in reactions among us as Carolyn finished reading Luke 16. 
And so Jesus is not saying to us today, try harder or lift yourself up by your bootstraps or be more moral. This is not, this is not how we will inherit heaven with Jesus for eternity. What he is saying is listen to the word of God and trust the one who speaks it. We will be judged on whom we have trusted. We will give an account as to which master we have served. The wonderful thing Jesus is doing for us today is he is presenting a warning to us out of love and concern so we would rightly be prepared for the future and have nothing to fear in the future but have the wonderful expectation and confident hope of life with God into the future. God's word meets all of our needs. God's word reveals God to us. God's word is fulfilled in Jesus, the word who speaks to us today. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you uh, that in your loving kindness uh, you know our needs, you see our challenges, you meet us and warn us of the dangers. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us hearts and minds that would receive and trust your life-giving word this day and each day so we might serve you, might love you, and might know you into all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.